Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm going to go ahead and dive into the Word of God. And, and <clears throat> so, <laughs> crazy times that we're in, crazy things that are happening. And of course, we're, we're all hearing the news and we're all hearing all the things that are going on. And I'm preparing this message and I've had this on my, my docket for a few weeks now. And I thought, boy, this is just appropriate that God has led me in this direction. I want to talk to you today about getting out of Egypt. We've got to get out of Egypt. God is calling his church out of Egypt one more time. And I want to explain what I mean by that because some of us that are a little bit around a little bit longer maybe have been more versed and more studied than others, but sometimes this confuses people. I teach this in Bible studies. But... When we look at Egypt and scripture, and actually there's two major nations in scripture that are very similarly represented spiritually in the Bible. Egypt is one of them and Babylon is the other. And you'll find that Egypt is more predominantly mentioned and focused on in scripture when it's talking about in terms of, of the spiritual antithesis of the church, okay? Egypt in scripture, as does Babylon many times in the New Testament, represents sin. When, sin, when Egypt is talked about, when, when Babylon is talked about, they're representations of sin or the antithesis of God, antithesis of the church. Does that mean everybody from Egypt is bad and they're from sin? Don't go travel over to Egypt and see the period? No, that's not what I'm talking about. It is a spiritual representation of who they were and what they represent in the word. Now, many of you know from the story of, of, of Joseph and, 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 and his family, of course, you know that Egypt wasn't all bad. And, and, and in fact, when the quote-unquote nation of Israel was in its infancy, essentially, it was Isaac and his kids, right? Egypt wasn't a bad place. The Pharaoh was a pretty good guy after Joseph went through all that mess that he went through and he came and he did the interpretations for Pharaoh. I mean, eventually, Joseph was elevated to a place of second in command. He was in power in Egypt. And it says in the word of God that the, the nation of Israel flourished. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that in that first few that came in and, and, and the tribes that were associated or the people that were associated with, with Joseph and Isaac and his children and his family, that there was just a handful, just a few people, but it was, it's estimated that eventually by the time they reached the point of Exodus, there were multitudes, perhaps millions, they had flourished so well in Egypt. And that's what Ramses the second problem was. They really flourished. And that worldly spirit that, e that Egypt represents, that worldly spirit crept into him and he became threatened and he put them into bondage. So what I want to do is, is this, I'm going to teach a little bit more today than anything, but what I want to do is I want to parallel this with, with the church. I want to parallel this with your walk, the experience of finding God, coming out of bondage. I want to parallel, parallel this with a spiritual experience and where God is right now. Because I want to tell you, and I know this, and many of you do as well, God is speaking to the church right now and he's saying, get out of Egypt. We have got to get out of Egypt. Don't go back. We've got to get out. So Egypt... As Ramses I dies and Ramses II takes over, and we know that 
Joseph passes away and eventually God calls Moses. And I'm not going to go through all those scriptures and all of that stuff. But God calls Moses to be the man. Now, many of you probably understand that Moses is a type and shadow and a representation of Jesus. They parallel. They're doing the same thing. They're taking their people out of bondage, leading them into salvation, right? And so we have to understand that Egypt, from the very beginning and all throughout, was a polytheistic, un-God nation. They, they didn't worship the God of the Israelites. They worshiped frogs and suns and, and water and all this other stuff. They were, they were always not spiritually aligned with God. And so under Ramses II, they were thrown into bondage, and you know that whole story. You've seen the Disney movies and all that other stuff, and hopefully you've read you know, in the Bible too. Um, all the good stuff there, there's details. But there's a lot of things in scripture that they, they skip out on in those things. For example, the representation of Egypt being a place where it says in the word a couple of times, it says, it talks about how, beside being a place of bondage, Israel was a place of diseases and pestilence. Uh, they had a lot of bad things going on there. And the Israelites were protected from that. God kept them. But uh, it was just, it was surrounding them. It was always around them. And unfortunately, we did have cases where Hebrews and Israelites went over to the dark side. And they made the decision to sort of uh, assimilate with the Egyptian society. That was bad. And of course, we know that we're brought to the place where uh, the persecutions come and, and, and Moses is called and, and, and God sends the ten plagues uh, one after another with a warning uh, every single time. Explaining to Pharaoh, listen, you've got to let the people go. This is it. This is done. We're a free nation. We've got to go. You've got to take them out of bondage and every time. And the word says again and again and again. Anybody ever curious about this fact that it says again and again and again that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You ever wonder why that was? Perhaps. Perhaps it was because it was part of the plan to divide and separate Egypt from Israel. The more hardened that Pharaoh became, the more anti-Israel he was, the more anti-Hebrew he was. It was part of the exiting process. That's why God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, Pharaoh was never going to turn himself over to God. He was an Egyptian. He represented everything antithesis of the spiritual things of God that we know. And so God, as part of his plan, would harden Pharaoh's heart against what Moses was pleading. But see, he gave them the opportunity he gave them the opportunity to make it right and he promised the plagues and the plagues came. Now we know the Passover story and we know the death angel came over and etc. etc. It was the final plague, the plague that took every one of the firstborn of Egypt that caused Pharaoh to finally break. And God broke him and in a moment of, of, of despair and anguish over losing his firstborn son, he finally gave in and said, okay, let him go. I want to take you to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 is really the, the, the pinnacle, the, 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 the high point of the departing from Egypt. They've packed everything up, they've gathered everything they can, and in great droves, they're, they're heading out of Egypt, they have the remains of Joseph. And I want to parallel this for you today. I have to get across how incredibly important it is that we get out of Egypt spiritually, completely, and utterly separate ourselves because God is hardening the hearts of the pharaohs right now. You understand that? 
God is hardening the hearts of the pharaohs, the leaders that lead this land. He's preparing his church for this. And he's prepared leaders. I'm not telling you I'm Moses. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness or something. I don't know what you want to call it, but he is preparing his leaders for this, and we must understand. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to take it a piece at a time. Verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Peherheroth, I hope I got that right, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon. Before it shall, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, wilderness hath shut them in. Okay, so God is already at work, and he tells them to go camp into a place. It is going to look to Pharaoh like we're lost and we're disheveled, we're trapped by the sea, we're entangled in the land, it says. We're in a wilderness we don't know. It's going to appear to the leadership that we don't know what we're doing. It's going to appear to leadership that we're sheep, that we're just silly people wandering around and lost. You hear me now? I'm paralleling, okay? You got to stay with me. So Pharaoh is deceived into believing that we don't know what we're doing. Come on, I'm aligning us with with the Israelites now. It says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There you go. And he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. God is already predestining, or, or, or he's already prognosticating, if you will, what is going to happen, that Pharaoh is going to be humble. That's what that means when he says, I will get me honor of Pharaoh. He will be honored upon Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh will be humbled by this action. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Pharaoh comes to his mind. He comes comes to himself after egregiating over the death of his son and says, what are we doing? Why are we letting them go? There will be a place. There will be a time. It's coming somewhere down the road. I don't know the day. I don't know when. But there's coming a time when Pharaoh is going to look at the church and he's going to say, why are we giving them 501c3 status? Why are we giving them a break? Why are we allowing them to preach this hate speech? Why are we allowing them to do these things instead of serving us the way we want to? Do you hear me today? Verse 6, and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. I want you to understand, at this time, the, the, the most advanced technological military expertise and, and everything available on earth was right there. There wasn't anything more advanced, more powerful than the chariot. It had wheels. It had a horse. It moved quickly. They were skilled in in throwing spears and and doing all of those military actions from the the cab of of that chariot. There was hundreds and hundreds of them. They literally, Egypt would literally roll over the top of their enemies. Very advanced technology. Verse 8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, again. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. That means they went out with boldness. They went out with a defiance of authority. That's what high hand means. They were bold. They were defying authority. Pharaoh, we're done with you. You know what that means? It means they didn't crawl out in the night. They didn't sneak out. 
They didn't hide in the shadows and appear to look like their fellow Egyptians. With boldness and with defiance of authority, with a high hand, they left Egypt. Verse 9, but the Egyptians pursued after them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pirharoth before Baal Zephon. The enemy's not going to let you go easily, by the way. See, when you're saved, when you come to God and you break that bondage, you're freeing yourself. You're boldly saying, no, I'm a Christian now. I stand in defiance of Pharaoh. I don't want anything in my old life. I've left it behind. It's gone. Well, the enemy doesn't just let you walk out of Egypt by yourself and say, oh, they're a Christian now. I guess we lost that one. The enemy is saying, why have we let them go? Why have we allowed this to happen? He will pursue. He will fight for you to stay in Egypt. He'll do anything he can, including taking all of his entire army, every piece of machinery that he's got, flying at you, coming at you to stop that event from happening. He will do whatever he can to keep you connected to Egypt. Verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. This had to be a pretty scary looking thing, right? I would imagine there's clouds 30, 40, 50, 60 feet up in the sky that's kicked up from the dust in the desert, from all these 600 chariots and all of these other chariots that he brought, storming down on top of this camp, because when they were in that little bit of wilderness, they didn't know where they were either. You know what says they were entangled in the wilderness and up against the sea? That's all they had. Here's the water and here's a whole bunch of mess we've never seen before. Because when you come out of that life that you used to live before, you're treading in a new territory that you've never seen before. I've not lived life without sin dominating my life before. I've not lived before not knowing that I can just follow the lust of my flesh. What do I do? Where am I wandering here? But the whole time God's got you in his sight. He's got you in his hands. He knows the route that he's going to take you. Imagine the fear that they felt at that point. Imagine the fear of that precious soul that you've brought to church. They've only been around for a short time, but late at night, lying in their beds, what am I going to do now? I don't even know where I'm going. What if I sin? What if I fail God? Imagine what the enemy's doing to him. You weren't saved. That wasn't the Holy Ghost you got. This was a lie. These people don't know what they're talking about. Come on. When the Assyrian king sent hordes and hordes of chariots to go after Elijah the servant. Elijah's servant, remember, stood there, ran in the house and said, we're in trouble, Elijah, there's chariots everywhere, what do we do? And Elijah simply said this, remember? He prayed, he said, God, open his eyes. And he looked, and they were surrounded by chariots of fire, innumerable, ready to take on. You know what? The Assyrian king's chariot saw them too. Out they went. Verse 11, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Excuse me. Uh, It's a question they're asking. 
Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, thou hast, why hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? It's sarcasm, they're saying. He said, well, there's no graves in Egypt? Well, of course there was. Egypt had vast lands. They, they could have filled graves for millions and millions of people. They were being sarcastic when he said, wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth into Egypt? They're doubting now. What did you do to me? Before I came into this church and met you crazy people, I was doing just fine. See, in that moment of despair, they forgot. They forgot what it was to live in bondage. They forgot what it was to be addicted to drugs and to be addicted to alcohol and to have broken relationships and finances that were falling apart. They forget sometimes because life gets a little bit hard. It gets a little bit tough out there. Living for God's not an easy thing. God's will is perfect, but it's not without challenge. Standing there, shaking. Why'd you do this to us, Moses? Why'd you tell me the truth? Why'd you preach me that Bible study? They forget. And they're drawn back to Egypt. Verse 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone? Now they're making stuff up. Didn't, didn't we tell you when you came at us with all this Pharaoh stuff and leaving, we said, leave us alone? That we may serve the Egyptians? When did they say that? It's not in there. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. My goodness, are our memories short. Would it be better for us to just fold into society? Just accept what they're doing? Participate a little bit just so we don't get made fun of, we don't get mocked, we don't get separated. Do we have the fear of Peter? Just to avoid a little bit of discomfort from our fear? Look at Moses' response in verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, despair, despair can make us fall. It can make us crumble. Fail to stand. Fear, sometimes it'll make us run. Maybe run to the wrong place. Run the wrong way. Impatience. Oh, Impatience has us make the wrong choice many times. Moses knew this. God imparted on him. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When you see things crumbling around you, when you see things that are going on out there, when you watch your CNN or your Fox News or your COVIDs or your elections or all of this other stuff, we can be impatient. We can react improperly. We can get drawn into that stuff. We can turn away and look back at Egypt and say, oh man, it was so much better back there when we were in Egypt. We can do things impatiently, improperly. God is saying, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Elijah's servant stood still and he saw the salvation of the Lord. David stood before a Goliath, stood still confidently and defied him with a high hand, with boldness. Noah and his family 
didn't see an ocean full of water. He saw the crest of Ararat. See the salvation of the Lord. It goes on to say, which, we, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. How about that? Did you know that the Israelites were told to hold their peace? Stop their murmuring, stop their complaining, their fighting. You know, sometimes when we're in fear and we're dealing with fear and anxiety, we tend to blurt out and we tend to agitate and, well, don't you think we should do this? Don't you think we should run down to this place and get a protest flag? Don't you think we should say this? Don't you think that should happen? We've got to go do this. Come on, are you with me? Meanwhile, there's souls out there watching, reading your Facebook posts, watching your actions, going, wow, who is this guy? Who is this lady? Hold your peace. We got to get out of Egypt, folks. You got to stay out of Egypt. There was violence yesterday, if you didn't hear it. There were marches going on in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. And groups went down there and started fights and hurt people. A small child was hurt, several people were hurt. They started combating one another. The enemy wants us drawn into that. See, that's Egypt. You understand me? That's Egypt. That's not the church. That's not the area, the camp before the Red Sea. That's not the wilderness. That's Egypt. And the enemy wants us drawn into that. The enemy wants us pulled into that anxiety and that hurt and that violence and all of that anger that comes from that. We've got to hold our peace. We've got to stand still. But he said, he, he, showed, he said that the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall see them again no more. And he said, forever. God is giving a glimpse of eternity. Do you understand if you turn from Egypt and the things that Egypt has connected to you and you let them go, they're gone forever. See, because you can't carry Egypt into eternity with you. You've got to let them go. And when you do, God will take them away forever. We'll struggle with things. When you give your life to God, when new Christians, you remember, some of you might remember that far back, when you give your life to God, some things hang on, don't they? Some things are a little hard to let go. Some habits, some, some things, we just keep a little bit of Egypt with us. It's just kind of hard. And you know what? The Israelites, all the time they were wandering in the wilderness, kept pieces of Egypt with them. A whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness and were not permitted to enter into the promised land because they held on to some of that Egypt. They just couldn't let it go. And all of us do it. All of us have held on to something. All of us have kept a little bit of something. And we fight it. We say, God, help us. Help me break this thing. Help me get rid of this. And we get things out. We finally work our way out of it. But I'm telling you today, we can't go back. Don't go back to Egypt because the world is changing. Because things are looking desperate. Because we feel like we got to stand up and fight. we got to get involved in Satan's mess. Don't go back to Egypt. We let it go. We're freed from it. Amen. And I hope this makes sense. Verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Why are you just standing there praying? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. 
In other words, stop your whining about it and go. <laughs> you know, sometimes prayer is always the foundation of everything. I've, we've said it before. In this church, prayer is our foundation. Giving is our culture. And, 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 and when love and kindness and, and togetherness and family is what we are. But you know, and, and prayer is important. And man, I wish there was more than six or eight of us here on a Monday night praying. We got people that are suffering from COVID right now. We've got a world that's in turmoil. We got a government that's about to flip itself upside down. Lord knows what God is going to allow to come into our lives because of all of this stuff. But I want to tell you something. Six or eight people at a prayer session. This does not tell me that people are concerned. Egypt is okay. We're dealing with it all right. But sometimes, sometimes God's saying, stop, get up off your knees and go. In other words, it's time to get out there. Verse 16, but lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. The children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You know all that good stuff. And I behold, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. There he is again. And upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. God's going to get his glory out of this stuff no matter what. Whether you follow him or not, whether you get up and get out of Egypt, God's going to get his glory. His will's going to be done, and he will defeat Pharaoh, and he's going to have his glory because some of us are going to be going with him. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before the face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. So that the one that came not near the other all night. Listen when God is calling us out. What's happening there, that pillar of cloud, see, that's the presence of God, that's God himself. God stepped in and stood between the camp of the Egyptians and darkened over them, but he turned and that same cloud cast light upon the Egyptians. Come on now, have you seen that light? Have you seen that light? God is standing over you. So coming out of that life, coming out of that, you're not alone. God is there with you. He's kind of keeping things between the camps. Because if he didn't, Egypt would just overcome you and you'd just be, you'd fail. You'd fall into a life of sin and you'd just bury yourself in lust and all that other stuff and, and that'd be it. You understand that God is in your life right now, standing there between Israel and you. Excuse me, between Egypt and you. Never forget that. Never forget that no matter where you are and what you're doing, if you're going in the right direction, there's a pillar of cloud that's standing between you and the camp of the enemy. Only you make the choice to reach back into Egypt. When Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. I think Hollywood did a pretty good job when Charlton Heston took the people out there and they had the great, do you remember that? And the fish were swimming in there. I think they did a good job with that. I think it's exactly what's depicted here. There's all these scientific theories. You hear all this stuff, well, there's an east wind and, and you know, and, and in Egypt and this blah, 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 they can, the wind can blow and this could, and they're trying to give a scientific explanation of how this happened. You don't need a scientific explanation. 
The dude who created it decided to part it. End of story. Get science. So the waters were a wall unto them on the right and on our left, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. You know this is a type and shadow of baptism. When you come out of that old life, you still have the sin on you, even after repentance. And repentance is that process of leaving Egypt, right? I want to put Egypt behind me. We do a 180. I want to get away from my old person, that old man that's not pleasing to God. But you're still carrying that coat of sin. And so coming to those waters. You know why I think it was the Red Sea? This is strictly my opinion. That is not located anywhere in here at all. I think it was the Red Sea because it represented the water and the blood that came from the side of Jesus when the spear was stuck into his side. It was either going to be a baptism or it was going to be a bloodbath. But either way, it was God's redemption. As a matter of fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells the Corinthians this way. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers, whenever Paul talks about our fathers, he's talking about the Israelites, the original Israelites. He says that all our fathers were under the cloud. Remember the cloud? And all passed through the sea. But look what he says in verse 2. He says, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This was our type and shadow. You see, you can listen to all that nonsense out there, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm unabashed about this because I can prove it again in the word over and over and over and over again. You can't just leave Egypt and let all of that stuff sit on you. There has to be the place where you go through the sea. The book of James, chapter 2 and 24. As a matter of fact, I'll just read it here for you verbatim. The book of James 2 and 24 says this. It says, ye see how then that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. We're constantly ascribed this idea that baptism is a work and we're doing works and it's about works and you're prescribing your own salvation. That is not true. We have to go through the sea. God brought them to that camp. He set them right there. They feared because they didn't know what they can do and he parted those waters so they could go through the baptism of Moses in that sea. Going on now to verse 24 in Exodus. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. Did you know that? Did you know that God messed around with the Egyptians and went and popped all their chariot wheels off? I'm going to tell you what, I said it a moment ago. Satan's pursuing you. God's going to knock his chariot wheels off and he's not going to allow him to run you down. So that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of of Israel for the Lord fighteth them against the Egyptians. Even the enemy recognized God's hand. Come on, folks. If you're faithful... If you shine with the faith of God, if you carry him with you every day and your words are positive and you're not out there fighting and scrapping and saying things terrible on Facebook and tearing people up, people are gonna see God through you. They're gonna look at you and respect it and understand. The enemy's gonna say, whoa, hold on a minute. Remember there was a demon that looked at Paul, looked at uh, uh, Simon and said, look, listen, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, you, I have no idea who you are. 
Man, if, if I'm ever confronted in that situation, I want that dude to look at me and go, oh, wait a minute, oh, you're one of those Jesus people. I'm not going to mess with you. The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, this is verse 26, and the waters may come against upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So they got into the middle of the ocean, they got in the middle, excuse me, into the middle of the Red Sea, the walls are up, their chariot wheels pop off, now they're trying to drag them out of there, the horses can't pull the chariots, they're stuck. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength, and when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Remember, I said that Egypt represents sin, represents secularism, it represents a godless society. You understand what happened there? God washed away the sin. He drowned the sin and washed it away. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of the Pharaoh came unto the sea. After them, there remained not such, so much as one of them. See, when you go down all the way in the water, every sin is remitted. Every sin is remitted. It's completely washed away. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a, small, or were a wall unto them on their right hand and their left. Again, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Why? Why did God allow them to look back and see that? Because folks, every single day when you're, talent, when you're, when you're tempted, when you're drawn, when you're looking back, when you're struggling, God wants you to look back across the shore and he wants you to see that old dead person that you used to be. He wants you to see that corroded, rotten, dead piece of sin that you used to be so that you'd look and say, God, I don't want to go back that way. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. He allows you to remember what you used to be, if you will. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servants Moses. I want to jump here real quickly up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. This is Paul again, continuing from that scripture I read a moment ago when he talked about the baptism of Moses at the sea. 1 Corinthians 10 and 3 says, And did all eat the same spiritual meat, talking about the manna that was coming from heaven. God was providing sustenance. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. Remember the rock that was in the wilderness and they hit the rock and the water would come out there in the middle of the desert. Had no water anywhere. But there was a rock that would flow with water. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10 and uh, verse 4 that Christ was the rock. You understand? He was there. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, meaning they were struggling. They were out in the wilderness and didn't know where they were going. People are going to struggle. Listen, the parable says that four different types of seed were planted and three of them fail. You remember that parable, the seed of the sower? Some of it falls on good ground, the other three gone. 
People are going to struggle. They're going to be out in the wilderness. They've given their lives to God. They've come over, but things just start choking them out, the worries of the world. That's our job. That's our mission. Not only is it our job to come out of Egypt, but it's our job to grab a hold of somebody's hand and say, don't go back there. You don't need to be in Egypt. Remember what they used to do to you? Remember what the bondage was that you were in? Don't go back there, please. Don't go back into that bar. You don't need to hang out with those people. You don't have to go back to that illicit lifestyle. Come on, come with me. Stay away from Egypt. Because that's the other part of the story. Verse 6 says it right here. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things also, that, excuse me, as they also lusted. You know, lust isn't just sexual. It's, it's desires, it's wants, it's just feeding the person. Forget God, just get me what I need. Skip down to verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with temptation also make a way to escape. There's a sea standing in front of you, but God will part it, that ye may be able to bear it. James 1 and 14 says it this way, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. See, that's how it starts. I want something. I need something. I want to fulfill me. The Bible says that you're drawn away first of your own lust. Brother Kylie used to call this the LSD scripture. You remember that? But before there was lust, before there was sin, there was lust. But how? Because you were drawn away. And that's how the enemy will work. He will seduce you into believing that what we're doing is patriotic and it's good and, and I'm standing up for a cause or whatever the issue is or, or whatever we decide in our mind and we rationalize and he draws you away. Well, then it becomes lust. Then it says, and enticed. Verse 15 goes on to say, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let's pop on back down to verse 21 of that Exodus scripture. So you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. You understand what that's saying? I'm sorry, that was the Corinthian scripture. You can't keep a foot in Egypt and a foot in God's kingdom is what that's saying. Don't keep a tether in Egypt. Don't rationalize your participation in the dalliances of Egypt. And say it's a good cause. And forsake what you should be doing for the kingdom. Don't eat at the Lord's Supper table and then go have dessert in Egypt. This is his warning. This is his call to the church today. You understand? He's drawing us out. I'll just give you a couple of quick examples here. We're closing. Leviticus 11 and 45. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 18 and 3. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. You understand what they're saying is don't do the things that Egypt is telling you is okay. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's moral or right. Leviticus 26 and 13, I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their bondmen and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. 
Again and again and again throughout the Pentateuch, the five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, over and over and over, God is saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Don't go back. And I'm closing with this this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Starting at verse 10, for the land whither thou goest, goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. From whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. There was labor in Egypt. You were sowing their seed, you were making their gardens, you were doing it all by hand and by foot, walking through those fields, planting their gardens. That's not it. That's not the land which God brought us to, verse 11, but the land, whither you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. There is no point when God is not providing the water and providing the plants, providing the sustenance and the things that you need every single day of the year. He does not turn away. He does not make house calls and then go back to the hospital. He's there all the time, every day. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in this due season. Now listen to this, the first rain and the latter rain. You know what that latter rain is? It's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that we enjoy today, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. And I will send grass in the fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Listen to these last two scriptures. You can stand with me this morning if we could have our musicians come. Verse 16 and 17. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. If politics is your God, you're serving the wrong God. If your job, your hobbies, money, family, vacation, entertainment, if those things are your gods, you're serving the wrong God. Verse 17, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the ground, the, excuse me, from the good land which the Lord giveth you. That is his warning to us. And it's a fair one. And it's a warning that I want to hear. It's a warning that I want to be reminded of. I don't want to put anything else above God. We've got to come out of Egypt. We're just sojourners in this land. We don't belong here. This president, whoever it's going to be, is not our president. These rulers, these, all these people fighting for power and, and desperately trying to win this whole deal, it's not for us. We don't belong in Egypt. And he wants us out. Because I'll tell you what, if you get a hold of what God's got for you and the capability 
that you have within you to reach somebody else and make a difference. You see, here's the bottom line. This is the end of the story. You're Moses. You understand that? You're Moses. If you're willing to be, you can be somebody's Moses. You can be the one that takes them by the hand, leads them to the sea, helps them break the bondage of the house of Egypt. If you're willing, that's our job. Get rid of Egypt. God's calling us out right now, today. Let go. When I talk about Egypt in that way, by the way, I'm not saying quit your job and become a monk. I know we have to work in society. We have to operate in society. Guess where the people are in bondage? At your job, at the grocery store, in your neighborhood. They're in Egypt. We're talking about the spiritual connection, the spiritual Egypt that we got to get rid of. Amen? All right. Lord God, we're thankful today. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Thank you for continuously reminding us, God, for, for kindly and gently speaking to us, Lord, drawing us away from the things of the enemy, reminding us of the, of the, the pitfalls and the traps and the things that the enemy wants to do. God, I pray a great blessing upon this congregation, everyone that's watching on our live stream. Bless them today, Lord God. Give them strength and courage and vision like never before, Jesus. Let them see the salvation of the Lord. Let them see the chariots of fire camped all around the, the Assyrian. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.